Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger with this week's message from Story Point Church. We've got something going on with the sound system, and we... I say we, our tech guys have been working since before 8 o'clock this morning, and it, we don't know what it is. In fact, we had no sound from here back, so everything we were doing was by just watching each other and pretending we knew what we were doing. So just, um, the good news is, we don't have to have any of this stuff to worship. In fact, in China right now, there are men and women, boys and girls, meeting in homes with low light and they snuck there because there's persecution if they were to be found out to be a Christian. So what we have here is a blessing. It's a good thing, but it's not a required thing. Amen? And I think that sometimes this happens just to remind us of those things. So uh, today's message is a very difficult message to preach. And here's why. Because what I'm going to say today is going to come straight from the Scripture, but we're going to have to interpret it from the Scripture and there are, on any one point of, of this text, four or five different opinions about it. And the cool or the strange thing is, many of those opinions can be defended by Scripture. And I say that to say that it's, it's with caution and with, with somewhat of a fear that I teach this text today because I know that you could be saying, amen, amen, amen. Nope, that's wrong. And I, I know that. I acknowledge that. So I'm going to hit this thing head on, and I'm going to ask you to let the Scripture speak to your heart, and I'm going to ask you to listen with an open heart and with a desire to simply get it right, knowing that when we leave this place today, we probably won't fully agree on everything that's said but we need to get the bigger picture right. Is that a disclaimer or what, huh? All right, can we pull the house lights all the way up, please? I want to be able to see folks. All right, so open your Bibles to uh, the book of Titus in the New Testament. You have First and Second Timothy, and then you have Titus. It's on towards the end of the New Testament. Um, while you're turning there, let me just kind of backtrack a little bit. We're working through a series on what it means to be a healthy church. And so the very first message was that we have a foundation. We have to have a foundation because anything you build on top of sand will eventually crumble. So what is our foundation? Our foundation is God's Word. This is our authority. So everything comes back to what does the Scripture say? Everything. Now the real tricky part about that is we can say the Scripture says something it doesn't say if we don't interpret the Scripture properly, right? So we have to properly divide the Word of God, but suffice it to say, God's Word is our foundation. So everything will come back to this. But on that foundation is also history. So as a church, we have a history. We have a 70-year history with First Baptist Church. Story Point has been in existence for about 11 years. And so there's a history. So we, we, we came from some place. We have roots. We didn't just wake up one day and, oh, here we are. Now, our roots as a church for Story Point is First Baptist, and First Baptist roots 
came from an association of churches that were Southern Baptist churches. So we are a Southern Baptist church. And a Southern Baptist church has a few distinctives, one of which is that God's Word is our authority. And that came from way back in the 1600s um, with the Protestant Reformation. And so there are five solas. We won't preach that sermon again, but if you go back, there's five solas. One of them is sola scriptura. And so again, we're building a, a very solid foundation because the church will not stand without a foundation. She won't. You will see multiple denominations over the years who have crumbled. And the, re the sole reason that they've crumbled is because they have compromised what God's word says. You mark it down, it's going to happen. If you take away the foundation of the word, you will not exist as a healthy church or even a healthy denomination. Historically, we just know that to be true. And so our foundation is not just um, the scripture, but we also have a, a history as a church. We, we have a, a denomination that we're a part of, and that's uh, we're, not, we're not slaves to the denomination. One of the things about Southern Baptists that I like is that we're autonomous, which means we don't have a hierarchy of churches and leaders that have to dictate to us what we can and can't do. As the congregation, we decide what we will and won't do, right? And so we're voluntarily cooperating with a whole bunch of other churches. In the state of Florida, there are several thousand. In the whole country, there are almost 40,000. So it's, it's, a, it's a good thing to be a part. Now, with our history and our foundation, we then talked about the fact that we have a mission and a purpose. You know, it's funny, in my younger days as a pastor, I'd get all the staff together in a room, and we, we'd spend three or four days trying to figure out our mission and our, our purpose. And at the end of the day, we'd always come back to the same thing. God's already given it to us. Like, we just wasted three days, people. Why? Because we've been told what we're supposed to do. As people of God, you have been given the Holy Spirit, so you have the power of God in you to go and make disciples of all ethnos, of all people, to the, endless, the uttermost parts of the earth. So it's to say it succinctly, we are to be um, the light of the gospel here, there, and everywhere. And I think if you'll really look at what we're doing as a church, we actually are doing that. We're not doing as much as I'd like for us to do, but then again, we'll never do as much as I'd like for us to do because I'm more of the apostle type where I just want to go to the ends of the earth and go everywhere, right? You have to rein me in sometimes. That, that's just my makeup, right? But as a church, we're doing a lot already, already of what we're supposed to be doing. Um, but we're always looking for what, what God to have next. So... So we have the foundation, we have our, our roots or our history, and then we have our mission and our purpose. And then we said, look, we're a people of great faith. We are a people who just choose to believe God. So if God says it, then we're just going to go ahead and do it. Now, sometimes that's tough because it's like building an airplane while you're flying it, right? I mean, you, you take off and then somebody goes, hey, who installed the landing gear? Uh, that was Joe's job, but he was on vacation last week. Well, guess what, folks? We have a, fl a plane flying in the air, and we have no, place, no way to land it, right? Sometimes, a lot of times, that's what it feels like as a church because we really are building this thing as we're flying it. Why? Because we're constantly maturing and we're constantly growing in our faith. But because we have great faith, that's okay. Because faith means that you simply do what God says even though you don't see where the ending is. 
And it's okay because we trust the character and the nature of God. We know who God is because God tells us who He is. In fact, I'm convinced that the fruit of the Spirit is a reflection of the character of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? Did I get them all? I mean, I, I really believe that, that we don't have to wonder what God is like because He's revealed Himself. And because of who He is, we can have great faith. And we can say, you know what? We don't know where it's going to lead us, but that's okay because God will never fall back on His Word. And He will never lead His people who are obedient to Him into a place that He doesn't provide and protect and care for and move through. Always. But let me remind you of the Scripture in the, the different passages that will, will, will show us that just because God protects and provides doesn't mean that He doesn't sometimes make us squeeze through the water, right? How many of y'all know that to be true in your life? He always provides, but sure enough, He provides at the very last second, right? Somebody said we have an on-time God. He is right on time. He never comes early, it seems. It's like exactly when you need it. So great faith causes us to be a people of prayer. And this is another part of our founding. We, we pray because we are asking God. We are yielding to God. God, what do you want us to do next? Where do you want us to go next? And so we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, I don't know if you've sensed this yet, but this is hard enough to do as a single believer, right? Or like me and me, it's hard for me to do all these things. How much more difficult is it for us to do it together as a church? I mean, think about it. Get 10 people in the same room and say, let's all have faith in the character of God. And let's all just pray and ask God what to do. And then when he tells us what to do, let's all listen to him and then do it. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster, right? There were 12 disciples that Jesus called to himself in the beginning. And those 12 were constantly squabbling. They were constantly just at each other and they were constantly misunderstanding. I mean, we, we just uh, heard from Matthew about James and John. Hey, Jesus, uh, come here a second. Hey, um, uh, listen, my mom told me to ask you this, but, um, you know, I, I want to know too. When you come into your kingdom, you know, you're going to have a place on your right and then your left. These are, these are places that are pretty important, and you really want some solid people to sit there. So how about James and John? I mean, we are known as the sons, and I, and I just kind of in my mind go to WWE wrestling, I have a feeling that they would be like, we are the sons of thunder. I mean, can you just picture that? I mean, come on. That would be the greatest tag team ever. And Jesus and, and Jesus, like, no, no, you don't understand, right? And they didn't. So these 12 barely got it right. And yet, as 80 or 100 people, we're trying to get it right. Oh, and by the way, we're trying to get it right without having Jesus in front of us. Now, to be fair, we have everything here, but... Sometimes that's a little more difficult. Sometimes I just want to see flesh and blood and go, hey, you just tell me what to do and I'll listen to you and do it. It's different. It's a challenge, but it's not impossible. This is what actually matures us and grows us in our faith. To make it even more fun, he's given each one of us different gifts and different skills and, he, and he's thrown them all into the pot and he says, okay, I'm going to stir you up. Some of you have what the others don't and vice versa. Now y'all figure it out. And these... Are your boundaries and this is the messiest organization on the planet the church because we're not just a group of people the Bible says we're a family we're a family now a real fa like a real family like like a, a birth family you 
you're, you're, you're born into it, right? And so you got sisters and brothers and moms and dads and cousins, and that's all cool. But then you start getting the people that they marry, right? I want you to just, don't say it too loud, but when your sister marries somebody that you don't like, not, I mean, I have great in-laws. I'm not saying person. I'm using an illustration just so you don't. I mean, I just want to be clear. I'm not going to. When they, so, so, let's, so let's say your, 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 your sister marries somebody who you don't like. They're still going to be at the reunions. They're still going to come over for Christmas, right? So y'all got to figure it out and get along. Well, guess what? We're a bunch of strangers. We didn't know each other before we came here. And God says, we are a family. And because we are a family, we are to love and serve one another. And in doing so, we will mature and grow in our faith. And when we do it well... The world outside looks in and says, that is amazing. The world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. So we are people of prayer because we have great faith. And then we moved into the, the, the next level of we're people who have to worship, not have to, but get to worship together. And so we're worshiping God, because we're a family, and as we worship God, we're also encouraging each other. And then now we're at the part where we say, and then the next one is we're unified, we're together, and the way we stay together is we have leadership. This is where we find ourselves today, and I just want to tell you, there's no way we're going to do this in one day or, or in one message. So this is a part one of next week being part two, Okay. So you're going to have to wait for the next one for the next week. So part one is this. How are we led as a church? What does the biblical leadership of a church look like? I got good news and I got bad news. The good news is God gave us something. The bad news is he didn't spell it out real uh, defined. Like there are a lot of unanswered questions in the Bible as to how a church is supposed to be led. Now wouldn't you think that God would have, would have thought more um, deliberately on this, I'm being facetious here. I mean, wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be nice if God said, here, you, you do this here, and you do this here, and you do this here, and it looks like that. Instead, God said, look, here's a boundary on the left, here's a boundary on the right. Everything in the middle, you've got to figure out, you've got to work it out. Why do you think God would do that? I think God did that, number one, because he wanted us to work together, to figure it out and search the scriptures. But number two, because I think he was wise, wise enough. I think God, I know God understands that cultures change. Cultures are different. People change. And so we have to stay within the rails and do what works within the context of where we are in this time in history. So what works today may not have worked 500 years from, uh, from uh, behind us. And what works today may not work 200 years ahead of us. But nevertheless, God gives us some guardrails, some boundaries. And here's what they are. In Titus chapter 1, we have a list of qualifications for what are called overseers. Now, there's a, 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 uh, an office that has many titles, but they all mean the same thing, essentially. So the word overseer... Also could be, you could substitute the word elder. You could sub, substitute the word 
presbyter. You could substitute the word shepherd. You could substitute the word pastor. These are unique words, but they all hold the same purpose as what this passage and others are talking about. And so in the scripture, we have been given the understanding that there are elders or overseers in a church, there are deacons in a church, and then there's a five-fold ministry or, or giftedness given by which those, that those five offices or giftednesses minister to the church and encourage the church and build the church for the work of service. So here's what I mean. In Ephesians chapter 4, we have something uh, that, that has been known as APEST. It's apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And those five gifts to the church were given so that the church will be equipped or edified to do the work of ministry. So here's the question. Are those five gifts, are they offices? Or are they simply the, 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 the leadership gifts of the elders? Or does everybody in the church get one of those gifts? These are good questions, right? Here's one of the things I'm struggling with. I've been over this passage and I've been working through it and I still don't fully get it. You want to talk about scary? When you got to stand and tell people what the Bible says and you're still a little unclear about actually what the Bible says. And the reason for that is this. Because the Bible doesn't give us enough specifics about them. There's, well, you'll understand that in just a minute. So here's what I'm saying. We know for certain that in the early church, there were elders, overseers, pastors, shepherds of the church. In multiple places, we have uh, letters that are written to the elders of the church. We have different passages that, that talk about how to relate to elders. And so we can be sure that every church had a pastor, an overseer, an elder. But we don't know how many they had. So, should a church have one elder? Should a church have ten elders? How many? Show me in the Bible where we're given that answer. We're not. So again, as a church, we have to decide, and really it's not so much us to de us decide as, if, as in we need to seek the Lord and say, Lord, how do we proceed from here? Where do we go from here? Because as a church, we don't have designated elders. Uh, as a Baptist church, that, that's, that's not something that they usually do. But what Baptist churches historically have done is elect deacons who actually function as elders. The problem with that is this. A deacon, even though he has similar qualifications as elders, it's not this, exactly the same. But if, elder, if deacons act like elders, they usually don't deacon. They just elder. Does that make sense? So I think it's clear to us that the first thing we need to consider with church leadership is elders, which again, elder, shepherd, overseer, pastor. So before we get into what they do, let's look at what they are or who they are. This is scary because I'm an elder of the church. I'm a pastor here, right? I'm the lead pastor. This scares me to death because I am held to this standard. And even though I, I, I cautiously would say, yes, I do uh, 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 fit this list, it, it's still scary because I have to go back and I, and, and I can, if I really want to pick it apart, 
I can disqualify myself. I mean, it depends on how hard I want to be, right? This is real. So as I'm teaching this thing, I want you to ask yourself, are you qualified to be an elder? Are you qualified to be an elder? Because if we're going to appoint elders as a church, if that's what we decide to do, which I think we should be, then you, we have to have people qualified to do it. Because worse than not having elders is having elders that aren't qualified. Because of the authority and responsibility, but also the accountability to God. Listen, I am more afraid of what God will do to me than what you'll ever do to me. Every time I stand up here and open God's Word, there is a trembling knowing that every single word that I speak, I will be held accountable to by God. And one day, God is going to play the tape and He's going to go, Jeff, when you were 18 preaching in that country church, you had no clue what you were talking about. I'm just, I'm just thinking, I, I don't even want to think about that. But God's grace is sufficient, isn't it? All right, so let's get into this. So Titus chapter 1, let's start in verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and as I directed you, to appoint elders in every town. So right off the bat, Paul says to Titus, Titus, the reason I left you in Crete is because I was doing uh, some work in the churches and I was straightening some problems out, but I had to leave, and so there's some unfinished work. We don't know what that work was. We just know it was unfinished. And we knew that we know that there was a need for godly leadership to finish the work. And so Titus was commanded, appoint elders in every town. Now again, here's the, here's the lack of clarity. How many? Because notice it says every town, not every church. What do we do about that? Well, what we know is you didn't have multiple churches in every town. So you'd have the church at Ephesus, the church in Galatia, the church in Corinth. And so each town had the church. So they were an assembly that got together. But at some point, they grew large enough that there wasn't a place to hold them all. So they had to split up and have multiple congregations of the same church. Right? That's reasonable. So if you have multiple congregations, you also had to have multiple teachers in each throughout the city so that each congregation could have teachers. And so we don't know how many, we just know that every church needs at least one, if not some. And I would say that there's a plurality of elders that's needed because that number one keeps the um, accountability up, but it also helps in the direction of the church knowing that God speaks to more than just one person. Absolute power corrupts Absolutely, right? There has to be checks and there has to be balances. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. I told you we're going to hit this head on, right? And, I, and I, may, I may cause you to ask more questions than I'm answering, but here's the question. Can you give me any organization on the planet, anyone, that's truly a King Arthur and the Knights at the Round Table? Just give me one. Where everybody comes and lays their sword down and there's a 100% there's a agreement in order for them to do something. No. Humans require leaders. And at the end of the day, the buck has to stop what? Somewhere, right? And so the ideal, I think, is to have a plurality of elders where 
there truly is a, a, a mending, or not a mending, but a unifying of the heart where they're going the same direction, the same time, with the, with, because they're all hearing from God. But practically speaking, there has to be some sort of a hierarchical structure. There has to be, because that's the way humans work. But with that structure, there also has to be great accountability. So it's not an either or, it's a both and. For that reason, most churches have a lead pastor or a senior pastor. Here we call it lead pastor. But just because there's a lead pastor doesn't mean that the lead pastor can just say, shut up and do it, right? It, 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 it's not that kind of a leadership, it, but, but there has to be some structure in order for there to be uh, uh, just a functioning organization. So what we have is appoint elders in every town, and then here is the beginning of the list of qualifications. Chapter, or chapter 1, verse 6. An elder must be blameless. Whew. Okay. All the blameless men. Now, that's a scary word. Now, we know what it means in the Greek. It means that, that there's no accusation. It's, it's basically a person who's living right. It's a person who's, who's righteous. But who among us is truly blameless? Who among us has never done anything to cause shame on the gospel? Who of us has never done anything that we regret and had to repent of and, and ask for forgiveness of? There, there's nobody. And yet the qualification is blameless. I think what we're going to see here is that these are the ideals. This is, this is the 50,000-foot view. And we want to get as close to this as possible without, without twisting the Scripture, but also recognizing that all of us need grace and all of us mature. I want you to think about it. If you have a church and your pastor's 20 years old or your overseers are 20 years old, how blameless do you think they're going to be? How wise do you think they're going to be? I certainly hope that at 40, I'm more, more wise than I was at 20. Y'all didn't catch that, did you? Okay, you caught it. I'm a little bit more than 40. I mean, but, but we should mature in our faith, so it's not like, okay, you have to be perfectly blind. This is not sinless perfection. Sinless perfection is the theology that says it is possible for a believer to get to the point in their life where they no longer sin. Not only is that not biblical, that's just heretical. Because here's the thing, the depths of the heart are wicked. Paul says it like this, when I want to do right, I don't do right. When I don't want to do right, I, I, I do right. Or did I say that wrong? What a wicked man that I am, what a wretched man that I am. If the Apostle Paul still didn't meet sinless perfection before he died, what makes us think we're going to? So that doesn't mean that we... Just say, okay, well, I'm just going to sin. No, the Scripture tells us in Romans, how can we continue in sin that grace may abound, right? No, we're not just going to sin because we know we're going to do it. We have this goal of being blameless and righteous, but we recognize that as flesh and blood will never be perfect until we are in the presence of the only one who is, Jesus Christ. But to be blameless, by and large, means that there is no charge against them. They're living a life that is that is righteous, that, that there's no public charge, there's no reason for them, to dis, for them to embarrass the gospel or embarrass the church. That's what it means to be blameless. The second part is just as contentious because it says the husband of one wife. This one's a tough one. 
for a lot of folks. And here's what, it's not personally tough for me because I've, I've reconciled what it means, but I know that right now this is going to divide the room. There's only four possibilities of what this text means. Husband of one wife. Number one, it means never been divorced. Okay, question. Well, let me give you the four first. Number one, it means never been divorced. Number two, it means you haven't been widowed and remarried. Husband of one wife, right? Number three, it means that you're not in a polygamous marriage, which is craziness anyways. I don't know why you want to do that. I love the one I got. I don't need anyone else. And number four, it's more of the literal translation, a one-woman man. Those are the only four options, right? Husband of one wife. So let's go to the first one, because this is, this is the, the litmus test a lot of times for pastors or elders or overseers, however you want to call it. They say, can a person who's been divorced be a pastor? There are folks who say, no, 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 it's right here. Can't do it. Question. If I got married at 18, I was married for six months, because I got married in Vegas and I was drunk. Wasn't a believer. After six months, six months, she writes me a letter and says, you know what, we probably shouldn't be married. We don't even live in the same town. Yeah, it's a good idea. And then I come to know Christ. God radically changes me. I'm, I go from one who is, a, who is a, living my life for me to a person who's surrendered to the gospel. God calls me. I get married. And for 30... So, so the grace of God is is not, so it's like God can forgive you, but you're not able to, that this doesn't make sense when it comes to the reconciliation, re reconciliatory nature of the gospel. But number two, what if it's a divorce that the scripture says is biblically legal or biblically permitted? For instance, if I'm married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever chooses to leave me, then the Bible says that I'm not guilty of that, Right? That is a biblically permitted divorce. Or what if there's an abusive relationship? Or what if there's adultery? What if the spouse decides, I no longer want to be, leave, be married anymore, and they abandon you? Does that disqualify you for ministry? So in my mind, it doesn't make sense that divorce is what is meant here. And here's the biggest reason why. I think if divorce was what was meant here, there are a lot of biblical terms for divorce. I think it would have said, uh, blameless, uh, excuse me, it said an elder must be blameless, not divorced. I mean, doesn't it make sense that that would be what would be said there? The second option is widow. Well, if a person's a widow, then they didn't choose that. They're certainly biblically allowed to remarry, and so they're not living in sin. How would that disqualify them for eldership? The third possibility is polygamy. Now, polygamy, it wasn't something that was in, uh, it wasn't widespread for the believers in this day. There were some, but it wasn't super widespread, so that probably wasn't it anyways. The more literal translation, the fourth option is a one-woman man. Here's what this means. It means that I have a heart and eyes that are set towards affection to one woman. I am faithful to my wife. That's what a one-woman man means. I think that is what the scripture means here. I think that it means that you want a person who is faithful to his wife. Someone who doesn't run around, someone who's not looking around, someone who is faithful in every way to his own wife.
Now look, there are pastors who I greatly respect who will disagree with that. They say, no, 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 no. If you've ever been divorced, I, I don't see it that way as a church. Historically, we haven't seen it that way. But that's just kind of, that's again, that's where, that's where it is. So the very next passage, or the next part of the passage is even more difficult. He says, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. <laughs> so if you'll think, the list is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, right? So we got to be um, men who are blameless, husband of one wife, and whose children have not been accused of wildness or rebellion. A couple of questions. Let me just sweeten the pot here. Is it all children or just one? So if I have five kids and one of them at 20 decides to go off the beaten path, am I now disqualified for elder? Is that what that means? If I have three kids, two of them know the Lord, but the third one doesn't, but they're a five-year-old, five-year-old, they're pretty wild and rebellious, right? Actually, probably go back to four-year-olds. Four-year-olds are wild and rebellious by nature. At least I had one that was. So does that disqualify? Not only that, at what point, if they decide to be wild and rebellious, does that disqualify you? If they're 40 years old and then decide to go crazy, are you suddenly disqualified for elder? What do you think? You see why this is tough? What does it mean? Well, I think, again, we look at the 50,000-foot view and we say, what is the purpose of this? Well, blameless so that the person doesn't... Um, embarrass the gospel, the kingdom of God, the, the people of God, blameless because we know they're going to do things well and do things right, uh, uh, faithful to their wife, husband of one wife, because we don't need someone who's, who's scooting out each and every night, or we don't need somebody who's hitting on girls in the parking lot. I mean, we, that, that would be a, a, a defame the gospel. Someone who manages his household well, because after all, if he can't manage his own family, how's he going to manage the church. So I don't think it's, it's the particular, I don't think it's necessarily a checklist as much as it is, this is the kind of person that you want because of the great weight of responsibility that they will carry. Um, I'm thankful that God's grace is sufficient for us. I'm thankful that God's grace isn't just for you, but it's also for me. But I'm also keenly aware that this is a list for elders because, listen, because the role of an elder is to preach God's word, teach God's word, not only with voice, but with life. So what we do as elders in the church is we proclaim God's word through our mouth, but also with our life. Our life is to be an example for you to follow. That's what elders do. That scares me to death. Scares me to death. Because I'm, I'm fallible. Nobody in their right mind would say, you know what, I, I think I want to be a preacher. Nobody in their right mind. 
let me just let me just step over here and just give you kind of an inside view. How much time we got? Oh my goodness. Maybe a part three. So let me let me give you an inside view of 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 the the challenge of pastoring. Listen, there is no other role, position, job, whatever on the planet as complicated as this. I'm not asking for sympathy, but I want to tell you that there's a reason that it is such a high calling in God's eye. That's why the scripture tells us that uh, 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 elders are worthy of double honor, right? Why would you give double honor to someone? Because there's such a, 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 a responsibility. Because here's the thing. A pastor, not just me, any pastor or any elder, right? They love the church. Why? Because we are shepherds. A shepherd doesn't get a holiday. Now, they may get a holiday, but the sheep are always on his mind. A shepherd who loves his sheep, when the sheep hurt, the shepherd hurts. And it's not just one or two sheep that are hurting. When it's five or ten, when there's fighting in the sheepfold, there's hurt. When a sheep runs away, there's hurt. There's not only hurt, but there's a sense of responsibility that I've got to go rescue them and carry them back in. There's no other job on the planet where your job is your family, is your friends, is your divine calling, is your uh, the center of all your relationships, and you're put on a pedestal and told, be like that person. There's no other job on the planet like that. If you work at Walmart, you can clock out and you can go home and you go like, you know what, I ain't thinking about peas all day. I am free from peas. No more peas for me. When I check in tomorrow, I'm going to clock in, I'm going to think about stocking the peas, but when I check out, no more stocking. Can't do that. Again, I'm not asking for sympathy. I want you to, I want you to know that there's a reason for the the weight, because there's a huge responsibility. Now listen, this is not just for paid pastors. This is for any elder in the church. Your job as an elder is to fight for the unity and the love of the people of God. One of the things we talked about this week in staff meeting, I say here, it's over here. One of the things we talked about in staff meeting is this. A lot of leaders want to lead with knowledge. And that's where they come from. I know stuff, so I'm going to lead because I know stuff. But as 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, if I know a bunch of stuff, but I don't love people, my knowledge is a clanging symbol. Everything I got is worthless. Because I'm spouting off truth, but if the truth doesn't have love behind it, all I am is the guy on the corner selling a, a peddling a wear. No, it's the love that causes me to say, I love you. I'm going to bring the truth in here, but I'm going to speak the truth in love because my most important uh, responsibility is to love you like Jesus loves you. Elders are to love the people of God as Jesus loves the people of God. And a shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. This is the reason when there's a hurricane, I don't leave. 
I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just, I want, I want to make this clear. This is the reason I'll send my family away, but I will not leave, period. Because I know that the first thing needed after a storm blows everything down is a shepherd needs to come through and tend to the flock. Maybe you don't need it, but somebody else in here does. I just can't imagine that Jesus would say, yeah, you know what, I'll get back to you in a week. I just can't imagine it. And there's one thing, well, I'm, I'm getting, so, all right. So we've, we've talked about three. <laughs> Blameless, husband of one wife, faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. What that means is they manage their household well. Because if they can't manage their own household, they have no business managing the household of God. Verse 7, as an overseer of God's household. You see that word household? And as an overseer, you could put the word steward. As a steward, as a manager of God's household, he must be blameless. And then there's, in, 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 in my English translation, there's a, a colon there. Being blameless, which means he's not arrogant, he's not hot-tempered, He's not an excessive drinker. He's not a bully. He's not greedy for money. Instead, he's hospitable. He loves what is good. He's sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, and holding to the faithful message as taught. All right, let's quickly go through these. Not arrogant. That means pride is not his constant demeanor. Now, look, there's nobody on the planet who's not going to wrestle with pride. Nobody. There are times when I want to be patted on the back. That's pride. But as a general lifestyle, humility has to be forefront in an elder's life. You should hold the toilet brush as much as you hold the microphone. If you don't hold the toilet brush, you cannot hold the microphone. So, not arrogant, not hot-tempered. That's a person who doesn't fly off the handle. That's, not a per that, that's a person who doesn't yell and scream consistently. That's a person who listens. Not hot-tempered. That's a person who steps back and, and takes in the situation and tries to understand what's going on because wisdom is required, not simply emotional reaction. Not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker. Oh, this one's a fun one. Here's why this is fun. Southern Baptists traditionally are what's called teetotalers. How many of y'all ever heard that term? Right? I'm going to split the room right here. The Baptist faith and message, which is a, a document that we as a church subscribe to, says zero alcohol. Here's the problem. The problem is the scripture says not an excessive drinker. What do we do with that? Now, me personally, I don't mess with alcohol. Don't need it. And I also know that the effects of drinking it would be detrimental to my position here at the church and also here in the community. And I just, I just not gonna, I'm not going to walk that line. But at the same time, I think this is an issue of liberty for believers. Now, I know that statement bothers some because it would have bothered me but here's what changed my mind i traveled outside of the south 
Here's what totally changed my mind. I traveled outside of the South and I went to other countries and I realized that they don't see it the same way. And I'm sitting here going, how could you be a solid, born-again believer, a pastor of a church, and you, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get that. Then I go, wait a minute, maybe, maybe, I'm just, maybe I'm seeing it wrong. Culturally, Southern culture, Southern Baptist culture are teetotalers. My preference would be that we just abstain from alcohol because that way we don't even have a possibility of doing something stupid. I mean, wine is a mocker, right? And it only takes one or two for some people to get really, really crazy. Having said that, this is an issue of Christian liberty from my, from my perspective to where I'm not going to judge you if you have a bottle of wine in your house. I've been in your house. I've seen your wine, okay? I mean, you can't hide it, right? But I will say this. If you step over the line into excessive drinking, that's sin. Where is that line? I don't know. I mean, how drunk is drunk? And I do have one exception, I, I, and I made this very plain, plain, plain and clear. If you're going to have to amputate my leg, and you do not have any drugs, fill me up with Jock Daniels. I'm good with that. Why? Because I don't want to feel you cutting. That's why. That's, that is my... They all, I hope you all find that funny, because I found it funny saying it, but it's true. But here, here's the thing. According to this list, not an excessive drinker. It can't be a person who's owned by alcohol. And it really shouldn't be a person who alcohol is a central part of their life. Because that really does reflect on the leadership of the church. Now, what that means, eh, we probably have to talk about that. Does that make sense? Now, how many of y'all wrestle with this one right here? Anybody, not, you're like, I, I didn't know. How many of y'all wrestle with interpreting this? Anybody? Anybody so far looking at these and going, yeah, I can see that over here? You, you notice how you could be so far in one extreme over here, so legalistic and so pharisaical, then you can go all the way over here and go, oh, let's just let anybody do anything. Man, I, I, right here, right here is where we need to be. The spirit of the text is much to the letter of the text as we can be. That's, that's where we land. And we just do the best we can do based on what God leads us to do. Okay, not hot-tempered, not excessive drinker, not a bully. Not a bully. That means a person who's manipulative. That means a person who just rams through things, doesn't listen, doesn't, doesn't consult, right? Not a bully, not um, greedy for money. Why is this important? Because the Scripture tells us that some people begin to preach so that they could have monetary gain. That's not who we are. But hospitable, listen to these characteristics, hospitable, loves what is good, sensible, that means their mind is, is on a level, they have a good mind about them, they're righteous, they're holy, they're self-controlled, holding to the faithful messages as taught. Here's something that I should have told you in the beginning, because it'd be easier for you to be harsh on a preacher after listening to this list. Here's what I should have told you from the beginning. This list is not just for overseers. This list is for you. Every one of you. What God is saying is, this is what a believer looks like. So pastors look like what it looks like what a believer looks like so that they can teach and model what it means to follow Jesus. That's why Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So as a church, when we elect 
or, 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 or decide what we're going to do with elders, we must understand that they will be the living examples of faithful Christians. The danger of that is, for an elder, when they sin publicly, they're also to be rebuked publicly. <laughs> There's a weight, a serious weight. Here's the final verse, holding, verse 9, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able to both encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. There's a, uh, a tremendous weight for, an, for, for a, a pastor, for an, uh, an overseer, a shepherd. That weight I want us to feel Right now. If you're a man in here, I want you to consider this. If we're going to elect elders, are you biblically qualified? Are you biblically qualified? How many we elect? I don't know. I wish we were given a number. It would be a lot easier. We've got to find three. All we're told is early church had elders. If you're not biblically qualified, repent and become that way. That's the goal. Sanctify yourself in God's word and be a man who would be able to be an elder. Now let's talk about the elephant in the room. We're out of time, but we've got to talk about this. So there's a big issue right now with who can be an elder from the gender roles. Can women be elders? You have men elders only, or can it be men and women? So I'm going to answer this in a couple different ways. Historically, biblically, and personally. Okay? So historically, we as a church have not had women elders. That's part of our heritage. That's part of our roots. Biblically, I don't believe that there is biblical evidence for women elders. I just don't see it in there. It doesn't mean women are less. It doesn't mean that they have less to offer. But just that particular role. Remember, it's the household of faith. Now, that fits right in line with the scriptural teaching that the husband is the head of the house. So why would we do something in the church that's not supposed to be done in the house? That just doesn't make sense. It's not congruent. On a personal level... I, fall, I, I feel the same way. I believe the scripture does not give us liberty to have women elders. Now here's the deal. There is great contention right now because of this. Great contention. There are churches right now who are being... Uh, um, uh, who are in great conflict because of this very issue. I think that that is a diversion to keep the church from being who the church is supposed to be. I think that if we were to decide, hey, we, have, we need to have women elders, I think it would, in, it would irreparably split the church in a way that would totally decimate us. It really would. Because of the strong biblical feelings on both sides. So for my part of leadership... We'll stay with what we know to be true, 
And that is there were men who were elders. But we will not negate or, or squash the role of women in leadership either. Does that make sense? Jesus did a lot of work in elevating women. Let me tell you guys, if women weren't around, we'd be in a heap of trouble. We'd show up to a potluck with a bunch of chips. And I'm not, I'm not making light of that, but, I'm, but that, that's just an easy example to say, we, we not only need their, 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 their uh, skill sets, but we need their heart and their passion. They see the world differently. My wife does so much to help me see things I never see. Every single week, you may not know this, I probably shouldn't tell you, but every single week she says, hey, what about so-and-so? I didn't see him there today. I think this is going on. Maybe we should contact him. Hey, I talked with so-and-so, and they're having a hard time. Let's pray for them. I mean, it just, she, see, she, she does this, this, this ministry thing that's just behind the scenes. It's incredible. And I know a lot of you do that. So do not hear me say that women don't have a place. They absolutely have a place. But this specific role of biblical elder, that's reserved for men. I think on a practical basis, I think that men would gladly give up their spot so they could sit back and watch football. I really do think that God said, look, I'm going to make you lead. Because if you're not made to lead, you'll step back and you'll let someone else do it. I really do think that that's part of it. So, told you it's going to be straightforward, right? What do you think? Here's what I want you to do. Go back and look through the scripture. Test it. Let's talk about it. As a church, let's talk about it individually. Let's have coffee. Let's make sure that we, uh, we are absolutely as biblical as we can possibly be. Because this, as the leadership goes, so goes the church. Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness and your kindness. I thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us to love you with every fiber of our body. And Lord, we really are figuring this thing out. So we need you to give us wisdom. We need you to give us discernment. God, we need you to give us your grace. Father, I do pray that you would raise up godly men who will be elders and overseers. As, as Hebrews tells us, to watch over the souls of the flock. What a great responsibility. Would you raise us up in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you're here and you've not ever trusted Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's God's invitation to you. Will you trust in Christ Jesus today? Let's stand together.